We're absolutely thrilled to have David Yarrow here, who is a, a world famous fine art photographer. Many of you will have seen his pictures all over the world, um, both of very famous models for philanthropic purposes and also for the, of the natural world. His first picture to receive critical acclaim was actually taken on one of his first assignments, age 20 for the Times, at the World Cup final in Mexico. He caught the famous picture of Maradona holding the World Cup, which a lot of you will have seen. In the last 10 years, his photographs of the natural world have been widely known as the best, most evocative in this field. And that's what we want to focus on with him today. David is a passionate conservationist and royalties from his latest book have been donated to Tusk and Wild Aid in the US. David's list of achievements are too numerous to mention, so we're going to focus on his experiences in Africa, of which there have been many, not least his latest trip through Tanzania and Kenya, which we helped him to plan. Um, he went out there beginning of, of August and experienced Africa at its best, which is currently with no people. So we're really, really excited and hope you enjoy. Hi, David. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Um, obviously such an honour to, to have you with us. And I'm going to go straight in with my first question, which was, when did you first know photography was kind of going to be a big part of your life? Well, I've thought about this a lot, and I think it was probably when I was about 14, 15. My, um, my mother remarried a... Uh, photographer. He was ex-military. He was a. Uh, he worked in the Middle East, um, and then came back, left the army, and was an equestrian photographer. He would go to things like uh, the Babington Horse Trials and bits and pieces like that. And it was. He, I don't. He'd be the first to admit he's passed away now. He maybe wasn't the greatest of photographers, but he had a dark room, and. Uh, I was quite interested in the whole process of, uh, of developing a film and then the particularly visceral moment where you see um, uh, a print coming through in the developer. That's a very exciting thing. I was at school, and uh, boarding school, and the school had a, a darkroom, a photographic society. And I was fascinated in sport, not horse sport, but more football and golf, skiing, rugby, that kind of stuff. And I'd go to these big sporting events and take pictures of my heroes from miles away and then go to the dark room and try and blow them up and blow them up and so you can barely recognize the, the face of the person but it was just very exciting seeing it coming through the dark room and i guess the first time i saw a black and white picture coming through that developer with the the red light on there was it was a bit of an epiphany for me and, and i maybe felt then that it might be some, might be part of my life um, yeah Absolutely, absolutely. It sounds like it was very much a kind of a calling. And did you have any other kind of careers in mind or was that very much your number one? Well, I think when you're 14, 15, it's very, or 16, or even these days, 21, 22, it's very difficult to have a career in mind. I, I was going to go to university and I went to university, but when I was at university, I was uh, spending a lot of time taking pictures and uh, Cartier-Bresson, a great French photographer, he said, you know, your worst, your first 1,000 pictures will be your worst 1,000 pictures. And I think it was probably true with me that you just get better and better, particularly if you're tough on yourself. Um, but I managed to get to go and do a World Cup in Mexico when I was young, 20. Yeah. 
still at university and and luckily got a big picture of the final and um but i i didn't pursue it i went into banking um after i, I did an olympics in my finals year um which is quite strange to do an olympics and your finals at the same time but <laughs> and then uh i because everyone else in that era was joining banks because it seemed like the cool thing to do Oliver Stone's Wall Street had just come out and everyone probably wanted to be Bud Fox or Gordon Gecko. Yeah. So I went into that world, um, but I didn't put the cameras away. And I continued taking pictures. Um, and then, of course, cameras went from film to digital. Uh, so it was always a, a part of my life um, and a big part of my life. But I didn't have the confidence to uh go and do it full time and also i saw so many people that were in photography whose careers were struggling because there were too many photographers and not enough demand for their work particularly in in either sports journalism or sports photography which is where my speciality was yeah or, or in reportage or editorial work um so uh, it lay slightly dormant for a while though I was always picking up my cameras and I remember what someone once said saying to me that he felt I, I looked at my most comfortable with a camera in my hand and I think probably that's true I'm, I'm when I have a golf club in my hand I'm very underconfident because I know I'm shooting golf or tennis or, or even driving but I think with a got with a camera in my hand I'm quite comfortable Oh, well, that definitely comes across in the pictures because it does seem like you have a very natural, unique style, which you can't kind of learn. That's just something that you obviously had from from day one. Um, you've done so many different types of photography. Where where does your real passion lie? What's your most favourite, favourite thing to photograph? I just want to be relevant. Uh, and of the now, I want to be photographing what interests me. Uh, there's an um, old Nat Geo photographer, Jim Richardson. He said, if, if you want to be a better photographer, put more interesting stuff in front of the camera. So I will be in America for election week. Um, I went to North Korea two years ago because I thought North Korea was an interesting place to go to. Um, I will go and photograph whatever I think, whatever interests me. So I, I'm not really... You won't catch me photographing uh, flower arrangements, much as I love flowers. And you won't catch me photographing um, sort of fine dining. Um, but I'll photograph people. I'll photograph uh, animals. I'll, I'll photograph whatever, whatever really is of interest in other now. I think the expression um, wildlife photographer is a very odd expression because and it hints at the fact that a lot of people that do wildlife photography are wildlife lovers first yeah. and then <clears throat> photographers and sometimes it slightly shows if someone is a chef and he's a multi-talented michelin chef they don't say he's a chef specializing in french cuisine or spanish cuisine he's just a chef yeah, and and the idea that you know if 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 I'm photographing a giraffe one day, and George Bush the next, 
the idea that they can photograph the giraffe better than George Bush because the giraffe's an animal and I'm a wildlife photographer. That's a little bit obtuse. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we know people better than animals. So I, I like photographing people, but it's got to be something that other people want to see. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I, 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 I like variety. I love photographing elephants, um, the big ones. But if I was told that for the rest of my life, all I was going to do would be to photograph elephants, I'd have thought that's a bit one dimensional. Yeah. Equally, if I was told that all I was going to do is photograph um, uh, um, Victoria's Secret models, uh, uh, that also would be very boring. So it's, it's nice to have a combination of the two. It's the variety, exactly. And do you ever um, put, you know, once you do you always know which are your best pictures from the shoot? Or do you sometimes put put the odd rogue one out there and think, let's see how it does. Let's see what people think. Or... Um, that's a good question. Well, you know, art, art is a democracy. And I think that if you are the practitioner, it is often the case that you can become um, too emotionally involved in your pictures um, that you lose a sense of impartiality. Yeah. I mean, let, let me give you an example. Let me let's imagine that you um, spend two weeks in, in Africa and you spend your first week in, let's say you spend your first, first week in Zambia and then your second week in Tanzania. And in Tanzania, you have a great, you have uh, very some lucky moments. Um, you're on top of your game and you come out of uh, Tanzania with six shots. Um, but let's say in Zambia, you're, you're not lucky. Uh, wildlife doesn't work for you. Nature doesn't work for you. And you think you, you, you maybe you've got one shot, but you're not really sure. Um, but you want to have one shot because you want to justify the fact you've been in Zambia for a week. So you'd much rather have that one shot from Zambia. Um, but then when you show it to your friends and they don't know that there's one picture that's from Zambia, they're just looking at the collection of seven. Yeah. They will, they will then turn around and say, well, that one's certainly the weakest. And that's the one that you've almost forced yourself into putting in because you wanted to justify going to that country in the first place. Yeah. I think uh, social media is, is quite a useful tool, but you have to remind yourself that social media, the demographics are quite skewed towards younger people and maybe not people that are interpretive enough in photographs. If I took a big picture in, in South Sudan, uh, 2013, 2014, probably one of the biggest pictures of my career, um, probably the biggest picture of my career. In social media, um, they don't really get it um, because it's, it needs to be big and it's not of a beautiful lion or a beautiful elephant. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit careful um, using social media as your, your best barometer. Your best barometer are your friends, to have a kind of think tank of people. Surround yeah. yourself with visual people and, and also have no ego. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very comfortable with people turning around to me and saying, David, I don't think that's a strong enough image. You need to have that. Well, that's got to be extremely important, important, and that's kind of in all of life, isn't it, to be able to take kind of constructive criticism. 
Um, so obviously you've done a lot in Africa and um, that those are obviously my personal favourites of your photographs for obvious reasons. But what do you remember of your first kind of experience of Africa? Did you go from a, from a young age or when, when did you first get out there? Well, you know, whenever you go on, on a plane, which not many people are doing these days, and you see a map of the world because you're following your plane, you realise how big Africa is. And Africa is is really far too big to be one continent. It's your Arabic North, it's your oil-rich West, it's the colonial East, and then sub-Saharan Africa. And they're all so different. And when people talk about Africa in the sense that we're talking about Africa, I think primarily they're talking about East Africa and sub-Saharan Africa. They're not really talking about uh, Mogadishu or um, Lagos or, or no. Dakar or, or <laughs> You know, so my first times in Africa were places like Morocco, but we'll exclude that. Um, and then I spent quite a bit of time in South Africa. Uh, I've got a lot of South African friends. I worry for the country enormously right now. Yeah. It's not the only animal I've really ever photographed in, in South Africa is actually great white sharks. Um, I, I don't really spend much time in the reserves there because they're not quite as raw as they can, are in East Africa, and the topography doesn't lend itself to, to what I do. Um, I guess the first time that I really had a shot at photographing in Africa was in, in, in East Africa, was in Tanzania, in the Sulu. Um, and you, you learn a lot. You learn. I only really started working in wildlife photography probably about. 13, 14 years ago, there was yeah. a great um, life on Earth. One of the first life on Earth things I really, with David Attenborough, really liked was when the killer whales came onto the beach to attack the seals in Argentina. Yeah. Um, and I remember going and sitting on that beach for a couple of weeks. Uh, and that was all because I'd seen David Attenborough's show. But in, in um, I guess, photography is collegiate and uh, we don't we shouldn't really be competing against each other because it's it's everyone's a photographer and there's there's room for someone else's good picture doesn't take away from me it's not as if that shrinks my marketplace no and 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 nick brandt's uh, work um and i i guess we we're we're very much in the same space now and i have a lot of respect for for him and i'd like to think that between ourselves we've 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 done quite a bit to to help the perception of the industry and, and most important in terms of giving back his his uh, images in in Amboseli from about 2007 2008 they struck a chord with me they they they, yeah. they grabbed my attention and held my attention and um that uh, it was those images that really said to me i have got to go there because they were so different to anything I'd seen before. These giants going through this arid elemental dust bowl. Uh, and um, that's where I think uh, my love of photographing wildlife principally has um, originated from, is from Amboseli. Um, and for so many people, it's uh, uh, it's a it can be a rather um, melancholic 
dreary dust bowl, albeit with Kilimanjaro in the back, because there's not many cats there. Uh, there's no rhino. There's a few giraffe, but it really is all about the elephants. Um, it's a, a lower budget place. You, you don't get the quality of camps you get in places like the Mara or the towns in, in Serengeti. Um, but I think it's all the better for that. And uh, uh, we spend a lot of time there. Um, every year we'll, we'll spend two or three weeks there. Yeah, exactly. And obviously a lot of the the elephant photographs that you've that are famous are from you and Amboseli. So that does make sense. I mean, I, I, with regard to elephants, you'd, if you want volume of elephants, you go to Botswana because I think that's where, what, 70% of the elephants in the world are. Yeah. But, but they're not as big as the ones in Amboseli and, and the big tuskers are all in Kenya. And there's something about seeing an elephant that's huge with big tusks that whenever you see a smaller elephant with little tusks, you don't, you kind of almost drive by. Yeah, no, absolutely. I get that. And obviously you are heavily involved with kind of conservation and things like that. Your latest book, um, I know the royalties are going to Tusk and Wild Aid. And what, what in your kind of heart of hearts do you think the biggest threat to African wildlife is at the moment? <laughs> well, the, the wokes won't like this, but clearly <laughs> the biggest threat right now is COVID because a lot of people think that COVID's great news for conservation because there's less uh carbon emission um but i think that's a little bit naive africa needs tourism and in countries like kenya it's a double digit percentage of their economy and without tourists you the people like the kws don't have revenue rangers get laid off uh without tourists um there is uh, uh, there is a huge gap in the um in the financial uh uh, well-being of so many constituents of the African wildlife food chain. And of course, also uh, without tourism, um, there's a reduced awareness without, without uh, with COVID, there's less charity, charitable fundraising is falling. So there's, there's lots of things that, and, and of course you, you then see unemployment and with unemployment rising with no uh, welfare state parachute like we have in the UK, You'll get people indulged in in suboptimal practices like poaching, like you know, bushmeat. So you have to. It's um, that's a big threat. I am. Um, I'm not as doomsdayish as some people. Uh, where I was in last week in Amboseli, the elephant population is up five percent in the last um, twelve months. Uh, Lewa, where I was, the the rhino population is. is grown significantly. Uh, lions you worry about much more uh, because lions about habitat loss. So you, you're the biggest risk to wildlife is, is um, uh, after COVID, because hopefully that time will pass, is uh, population growth. And, and population growth leads to habitat loss. And habitat loss is the big enemy of, um, of African wildlife. Absolutely. Um, very concisely put on both on both points. Um, and just for anyone listening, obviously, I've been out in Tanzania and Kenya in the last two months, and so has David. So for up-to-date information on travelling during a pandemic, definitely check out our, our social media. Um, 
So what um, are your most memorable kind of adrenaline filled um, moments with wildlife when you've been photographing? Um, well, I think one of my most adrenaline filled moments was probably a couple of weeks ago in Tanzania where I only want to photograph hippos from the floor up and I got charged by one and you've got to be so careful. Um, with lion, lions will run away from you in Africa. You don't want to try it every night of the week, but by and large, lions will run away from you. And and the most dangerous animal really is the hippo. And uh, the only way to photograph it well is to be close, to be lower than the hippo's eyes. And that was quite adrenaline filled. I actually fell um, uh, when I was running away. And you never want to look round. It's not your default uh, cognitive uh, processing is to, to look round, you just run. <laughs> and, and the hippo had stopped on the rocks, but still it was uh, it was a moment that I found very unnerving. Yeah. Uh, I think I've got a hippophobia now. But if you put fear <laughs> to one side, um, I think um, I often get asked what, what, are, what are my, uh, what animals, when you see them, do you get a little shiver down your spine? Well, almost by definition, to get that shiver down your spine, they have to be rare. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because whilst it's great to be in the company of huge elephants, we can't find them. And in the Serengeti, you're going to find a lot of lion. Um, so the, 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 the animals where I get the biggest uh, nerve tingling um, moment is, is probably polar bears and, and tigers because they're just that bit rarer um but uh they're not my favorite animals my favorite animals probably are the elephant and the lion but um the ones that you when you feel a, a privilege in that encounter the most because of their rarity and when i say encounter i'm talking a very close encounter i'm not like saying seeing it from 300 yards away i'm talking about seeing them from 10 yards away yes it, it, it's the tiger and the polar bear. And the thing about them both, of course, is that they're incredibly dangerous, um, yeah. uh, partic particularly the tiger. And so have you had any hairy experiences with um, with tigers or polar bears then when you've been photographing them? It sounds like you have. No, because I'm actually uh, quite responsible. And, and I, as a father of two kids, I don't want to be doing anything silly. Uh, uh, I, I work with the very best people wherever I go. And with polar bears, particularly in Alaska, we, we try and attract them to us by wearing chocolate. We put a lot of chocolate on, on our, in our coats and then try and be um, upwind from the polar bear so that the polar bear then smells the chocolate and then will come towards us. Um, and if we can uh, have an escape route, in the very same way that no one's ever heard of a cheetah attacking um, a human, uh, we never know of a polar bear trying to get onto um, an Inuit fishing boat. And these Inuit fishing boats on the North Slope of Alaska, they're they're very low, and these fishermen are out with the polar bears the whole all time. But they've never known of a polar bear try and jump onto their fishing boat. Oh. So that gives us the opportunity to to work from a very low level on those fishing boats with the polar bears. 
yeah absolutely um so last question actually second last question apart from when you're going out on a kind of working trip where would you and your family go on holiday where's your most favorite place to kind of travel to <laughs> seems a long time ago now doesn't it <laughs> uh, well i think all my family where none of us are very good at sitting on a beach uh, my daughter might disagree, but I think I certainly can't do more than three or four days. I get restless. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if we go to somewhere where there's variety um, and but also sunshine, uh, yeah. we like that. So it, it might be an unusual. But our, our probably our two favorite places for holidays are both in America. Um, I think. Uh, uh, might be an unsurprising answer, but I think Los Angeles is a great place for a family holiday because there's so many different things you can do. And if you want to go and be sophisticated and uh, kind of in touch with what's going on in, in celebrity world, you can be in West Hollywood. And if you want to go to the beach, you can go to the beach. And in the meantime, there's so many different things to do. Yeah. The weather tends to be good. Uh, and uh, so you can have a, a whole range of experiences. And also, we love Montana. It's kind of God's country and uh, the horse whisperer type country and so many yeah. wild characters up there and beautiful part of the state. So those would be two of two of uh, of our favorites. We I think we had a skiing holiday in um, at a show in Aspen and they, they certainly enjoyed Aspen, even though it's quite high. It's about 10,000 foot, but it's that's a great place to, to have a holiday as well. Yeah. Exactly. I've actually always wanted to go to Montana. It's high on the list. And so you've you've mentioned um, the election. Do you have any other exciting kind of projects coming up in the next year or so? Well, I, I, I do. Uh, um, and of course, a lot has been on ice. Uh, I was taking the president of Rwanda up the hills in Virunga to meet the gorillas. And that was going to be an ex a great privilege to spend two days with him. And uh, I think that's still going to happen, but it's just a question of uh, of when. R Rwanda is open, and uh, I think there's only been two COVID deaths in Rwanda, but uh, it might take a bit of time to do that. I'm. Um, I think the thing I'm most excited about uh, in the short term is I am doing a series of photographs with Willie Nelson, the country music legend, and. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun uh, with some of his cronies in, in Texas. Um, so that, that and I was hoping to go to Antarctica, uh, but that's probably going to be scrubbed this year because you can't. I was going to be going through Cape Town and uh, I'm afraid I think South Africa is going to be one of the last countries to get to, to open up. It does but, look that way. But um, Af East Africa, I will be going back to in two weeks time. It's rather a wonderful time to be there because no one's around and you, you can get uh, much better access. And, and sometimes the serenity of these places is a little bit uh, uh, impinged on by the volume of traffic. And right now is a great time to go because there's no one there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, we've both just been very lucky to have amazing experiences of of the Serengeti and with no people um David that has been amazing thank you so much I really really appreciate that all um, you've done and, and um I would vouch for 
um, how you can help people uh, logistically. You make it very painless, and thank you very much. Oh, no, that's a pleasure. That's a pleasure. Thanks, David. Um, safe travels in the next couple of weeks, and we'll speak soon. Take care.